0: happy Resurrection Sunday. He is indeed risen. If you're asking the the same question that my son asked this morning when he saw me, which is, why are you so fancy? Um, (laughs) Lucia is wondering too. uh, It's not because I want to impress you. It's, uh, not because I want to impress my son, although the compliments have been great for my self-esteem this morning. It is because today is a party. (laughs) Today is a celebration that today, you and I, because of the work of Christ and the work of God in the gospel to raise Jesus from the dead, you and I have hope, which in our day and age is a ridiculously valuable commodity. At the center of the Christian message is that Jesus is no longer dead, but that he is alive, and for all those united to him by faith, we need not fear death, because death is no longer defeat. And that is very good news. If you have your Bibles, would you grab them and open with me to 1 Corinthians 15 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 together. Let me see if, all right, this does work for me. Great. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice that in eternity past you saw us in desperate need of a savior. You saw creation fractured and you implemented a plan. You initiated a saving work on our behalf and that you then sent God the Son to accomplish that work. And Jesus in his death and in his resurrection on our behalf has done the work that we could not do and so we rejoice this morning not only in your initiation of salvation, but your accomplishment of it on our behalf. And today, Lord, we thank you that now, as those who find themselves in your story, you did not leave us alone to navigate life or to apply salvation to ourselves. Instead, you send your Holy Spirit who applies the work of your initiating love and your accomplishing grace to our hearts. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would do just that, that here in this room you would initiate relationship with people in here who do not know you, that you would show them clearly and presently in the death and resurrection of Christ how that has been accomplished for them, and then you would gift them with your Holy Spirit so that they may be beholden to you. We rejoice this morning. I pray that you would be with us. We thank you for your word, which guides us into all truth. May the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. O God, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. This Sunday is the the first Sunday in a new series for us, and what we're going to be doing in this new series, I just realized that I did not switch the screen for you all. I apologize that I did not do that for you. I just let you sit with the text, Um, so hopefully you know that it was from the Bible. Um, This is a new series that we're beginning called We Believe, and there's a few reasons for this series, and uh, a few reasons why we specifically did this series today. And, And the reasons that we have behind this series is I have just been increasingly convicted in our day and age of the need for us to know what it is what we believe, or for those of us in here who aren't Christians, to know what it is us weirdos believe. I see in our day and age a lot of division in the church. And a lot of that division is not rooted over what we actually say Christianity is. A lot of it is rooted in preference. In issues that are not of first importance. I see a lot of voices with misconceptions about what Christianity is which is not new to church history. 2,000 years ago, people were saying that we ate people, so we went from cannibals to now some other misconceptions about us, but still, it's the narrative throughout history, misconception, and my hope throughout this series is that we would, one, clarify, this is what it is we believe, and two, um, statistically speaking in America and largely in the West, Christians actually don't know and cannot articulate the fundamentals of their faith, the fundamentals of what we believe. And as a result of this, we see many younger Christians are just chucking the whole thing and walking out the door because they don't know what they believe or why. And so my hope throughout this series is to give us some grounding, to root us in what it is we believe and why we believe it. But there's a reason we started today. Because the center of what we believe is the death and resurrection of Christ. You guys are going to talk back to me today. I love it. Let's do it. Let's go. The center is the death and resurrection of Christ. Everyone in this room, whether you realize it or not, you are a theologian. Now, you may have just heard me said that, and you're like, what did he just call me? Those are fighting words. Um, A theologian is someone who studies God, who studies the belief of God. Every single one of us in this room has some shape or form or belief about who God is, which makes every single one of us a theologian. Every one of us, some of, our, some of us are bad theologians, and some of us are better theologians, and some of us are mediocre theologians, and some of us are excellent theologians, but all of us believe something about who God is. But for those of us in this room who say we love God, we should desire to know accurate information about Him. Uh, I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again because I think it sticks. If I came up to you and I said, Man, I just love my wife so much, and you said, Tell me about your wife, and I said, Well she is a beautiful Middle Eastern five foot two kickboxing boxing champion. And she is just incredibly gorgeous with jet black hair, and on top of all that, she's just always wearing pantsuits. Those of you who know my wife would be really curious on what I meant by the word love at that point. In fact, you might have a hard time believing that I actually loved the wife that I am married to, and instead were curious that I might be married to somebody else, and you have some conversations you need to have with the other pastors and elders of this church. If I said I loved my wife but could not describe accurate information about who she is, you would question whether or not I loved my wife. If we say we love God, if we say we love God, we should desire to accurately depict who it is we say we love. So over the next 12 weeks, we are going to do just that <laughs> present accurate depictions of who God is so that we, as those who say we believe in him, would be better equipped to know what we believe. And for those of you who are in here this morning who are curious about what it is that Christians believe, over the next 12 weeks, I want to invite you to come with us to see what it is we say we believe, not to hear it from misconceptions or voices on TikTok. Please stay off TikTok. That's not part of my sermon, but it's helpful to society. So um, it's just a public service to you from me, and I'm out of control, so let's get back. Um, eight weeks rooted in historic Christianity. What have Christians believed since Jesus rose from the dead? What have they articulated as their belief? And then we're going to do four weeks that are specifically distinctives about us as a church. They are important issues, but we wouldn't say that everyone has to agree on some of these issues. And here's my invitation. My invitation to all of you today is that you would come along with us and learn, for those of us who are Christians, what it is we believe and why that should stir us up into worship of God and devotion of our life. And for those of you who aren't Christians, to come along and hear what it is we believe And how that should stir you up into worship of God and devotion of your life to him. The first week that we have here, I get to answer the question that I want to dedicate my life to answering. And it's, what is the gospel? Here at Jesus Chapel, we believe that the gospel is the good news of God's grace renewing the earth. It is the grand narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration ordained by God and orchestrated through the life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. That is what we believe the gospel is. Now that I've stated that, what does that mean to you? (laughs) What does that mean to you? Well, the gospel, that word gospel, some of you maybe have heard it in a TV show or you've heard his word is gospel and you wonder, what does that mean? Or maybe you've been inside of church before and you've heard that word but never properly heard it explained. Well, the word gospel simply means good news. Good news. It is good news. The beginning of the pandemic Uh, A man by the name of John Krasinski started a YouTube channel called Some Good News. Now, maybe you're wondering, who is John Krasinski? And once I say he's Jim from The Office, you'll get it. And so, Jim from The Office started a YouTube channel at the beginning of the pandemic called Some Good News. It seemed like we were in a season as a nation and as a world of constant bad news, which still has not gone away. And he began to say, let me collect good news and bring it before people because we all could use some good news right now. Within the first few weeks of this channel starting, he had accumulated over 72 million views. 72 million within weeks, just of people who were desiring to see Jim from The Office talk about good news. You and I as humans, we crave good news. We crave it. We need good news for our lives. An uh, example of this is my two-year-old son, Every and I don't really know where he got this. I've never actually done this for him before, but every day when I get home from the office, I have my bag on my shoulder, and he runs out, and he gives me a big hug, and he asks me, you have a surprise for me in your bag? And I I have no idea where he got it because I've never actually pulled a surprise for him out of my bag, but he is desiring that not only would my greeting for him in the afternoon when I get home or the morning when I get home, not only would it be a greeting of love and rejoicing, but it would also be a greeting of good news. He is desiring to hear that there's a surprise for him. And and you and I, we are just like my two-year-old son. Maybe you're in school right now and you're just saying, Man, I I crave the good news that I got an A. Or maybe you're a parent of a suspect student and you're craving the good news that they just got a C. They're just going to pass. Or or, or maybe you want to hear the good news that I got a job or she said yes. Or the good news that it's a boy or it's a girl. Or the good news that he died a good death. Or that she died a good death. We all desire to hear good news. It's inside of us that in this bad news world, we are craving something that would invite us into rejoicing. So here's my hope today, when we talk about good news, what does that mean and why is it good news for you and I? What is the good news that the Bible and Christians seem to be so excited about? Well, The first thing that we have stated in our definition here is that the good news is that God's grace is renewing the earth. God's grace is renewing the earth. You see, the gospel is a story of good news telling us how God goes about doing that. It tells us how the world was created. It tells us how humanity rebelled against God. It tells us what God planned to do about that rebellion and what God has done about that rebellion and what God will one day do to restore and renew all of creation. The story of the gospel, the good news of the gospel... Is a story of God's renewing grace. So let's talk more about that story. We have a drama that you and I are entering into. Maybe you're in high school and you've been in a high school drama before, or maybe you were in high school and you tried to apply for a high school drama and they said, you can work on the set. You're Your personality is just too solid to be anything but the MC. Uh, We really should not have you seen in front of people. Sorry, I'm hashing out my high school days. Um, In the in the beginning, uh, the drama of the gospel is a story of creation, of fall, of redemption, and of restoration. You see, in the beginning, the eternal triune God, infinitely happy in Himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, infinitely happy, overflowed in that happiness onto the pages of creation and spilled out onto the pages of creation and set up at the climax of, climax of it, you and me in the Garden of Eden, better known as paradise, God's miraculous playground, if you will, where you and I are invited to run free and play and have fun and rejoice and work without it being a burden. (laughs) That's good news. You see, you and I, our purpose was to rejoice in God by filling the earth and multiplying and spreading God's happy rule throughout the earth. This garden was supposed to multiply It was supposed to not just be in one solid location, but to multiply paradise throughout all of creation. You and I were invited into God's paradise to be a part of his multiplication efforts of that garden over all the earth. We were created as human beings to be descriptors of God's greatness and to take that description throughout all the world. There in the garden, the stage is set. Characters have taken their place. The scene is about to start. Now, I'm not sure what world you're living in right now, but I don't think you would describe it as paradise. Maybe, I mean, maybe. Maybe you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, my goodness, the sun is beautiful, and there's no bad news anywhere, ever. And you live in some sort of bubble of not reality. And so you've kind of described your life as paradise, which means you're probably a teenager that's not angsty. Um, but you have this paradise that you live in, and, and that's not the world for the rest of us. You see, most of us would not describe the world we live in as paradise. We wouldn't describe our day-to-day life as God's paradise. So something must have happened in that beginning of creation to shift it from being paradise to being the cosmic mess that we seem to find ourselves in now. author by the name of C.S. Lewis, talks about what happened in this way. You see, you and I were created to be adjectives of God. So if God is a noun, what do adjectives do? We describe the noun. The purpose of you and I's creation was to always point towards the greatness of the Creator. So... Here's how nouns work, or here's how adjectives work. They don't work on their own. If you just said handsome, and you didn't have any direction of what you were talking to, somebody would have to ask clarifying questions because that word does not exist on its own. Now, maybe you could point and say handsome, or maybe you could nod your head and say handsome, but somehow you'd have to attach that word to a noun in order for that word to make any sense in the human language, in the English language the adjectives needs to be attached something attached to something otherwise it cannot be self-existent on its own you and i created to be adjectives of god attached to him descriptive of him but the problem is we sought to become nouns We sought to be self-sufficient on our own. And what happens to an adjective when it's removed from a noun? It's nothing but an adjective. And so if you and I sought to become that noun, we ended up seeking to become more. But in becoming more, we became less. Because we could not survive as nouns. You see, for us to understand the good news... We've got to understand the bad news. And the bad news is, is that you and I, separated from God, are void of life. We cannot stand on our own. If you were to go to a doctor's office, and you walked in for just a regular checkup, you just scheduled with your primary care physician, and You scheduled a checkup and you went and you sat in the waiting room and then the doctor came out to you and the doctor said, "Um, I want you to know that you don't have cancer. You'd be excited that you don't have cancer, but if you didn't think you had cancer, that would mean significantly less. However, if you thought you had cancer, you were diagnosed and you went to get a second opinion, and the doctor comes to you and says to you, you don't have cancer, you're going to throw a party and rejoice because that is much better news. We have to understand the bad news of our situation in order for us to properly understand the good news of our situation. And this is the bad news, that because of our pursuit of self-sufficiency, because of our pursuit of lordship over our own life, over our own autonomy, self-ruling and self-reigning existence, we walk in accusation towards God. And in that accusation, there's a fundamental belief that we could be a better God than he is. You see, the story of the beginning story of the garden it's a true story it's a story with real people in a real place in time but it's also an allegory it's an allegory of you and i and our relationship to god in the garden adam and eve Our spiritual parents walked in disobedience to God. They attempted to be God, believing that they could be a better God for themselves than God was for them. And the Bible says that this is what sin is. Believing that we could be a better God than he is. A simple definition would be saying that God is not God. So the way that this works out in our society today and in you and I's lives is maybe... um, you would say something like this, I don't think God knew what he was doing in putting these authority figures over me. I don't really need to obey them. So in that case, you've been a sinner since you were a toddler, Just if you didn't know that. Uh, Full display, little sinners, one and the same. Adorable little sinners, but little sinners nonetheless. Maybe you would say something like this, God seems kind of stuffy and outdated. Maybe he made sense in those ancient times, but he really doesn't know what he's talking about now. I think he'd like me to do away with his sexual ethic. I think that now in today's day and age, I probably have a better idea and understanding of how I should apply, uh, you know, life because I'm here and he's, you know, from thousands of years ago. So I probably would be a better God now than he would. Or maybe it's more subtle. Maybe it's more subtle than that. Maybe it's, God says this is serious, but I don't think it is. And so I'm not going to take it seriously. Like God says, gathering with the church is serious, but I, I don't really think it is. Or maybe it's more subtle than that. It's, um God has placed authority figures over the world, and those authority figures have set speed limits, and so now I'm in my car, and I actually think that I should be able to go 40 in the 35. And all of us cringed because of our drive to church this morning. You see, uh, sin is fundamentally saying, maybe I believe that God is good for me, but I don't necessarily believe he's good to me. Mm. Or the other way around, maybe I believe that God is good to me, but I don't believe he's good for me, so I believe that he's going to bless me, and I believe he's going to do the things that I want him to do, but I'm not really going to follow his rules or his ways, because they must not be that important. He's good to me. That's all I need is his goodness to me. I don't need his goodness for me. God's rules are for our good and for our joy. And as a result of believing that that is not the case, paradise is lost. Presence with God is lost. Full enjoyment of his rule is lost. And separated from God, you and I have no existence. Lest you think I'm going to leave you with the bad news, though. This is a good news sermon. And so there is good news. There is redemption in the gospel according to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Jesus shows up on the scene. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at ha- The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. He invites humanity. Jesus, the word of God made flesh, who comes down to rescue the people of God, he comes down and he invites us to turn away from our belief of self-sufficiency, to turn away from our belief that we can be a noun all on our own and turn back to the God who we were created to describe. His kingdom is here and it is good news, but let me just tell you this, the invitation to turn back in and of itself is not good news. In fact, if we stop with the invitation, hey, turn away from your sin, turn back to the way that God wants you to live, you know what that invites us into? Self-righteousness and moralism. And that's actually not what the Christian belief is. It's not just an invitation to turn towards and away from, but it's to believe that the kingdom is here believe that the kingdom is here, what does this mean? Well, this means that the kingdom that God intended for Genesis back in the garden is now present and made known in Jesus Christ. The kingdom that God intended, the the order and the life and the beauty of paradise that was meant for humanity back in the garden. Babies cry, everyone. It's okay. So do you. Um, The kingdom, and if you don't, you should see somebody about that. Uh, The kingdom that is meant For humanity to put on display in Genesis 1 through 3 is now brought about in Jesus Christ who brings God's happy rule to the earth. Jesus brings about the kingdom, but here's the even better news. Jesus does not just invite us into following him. You see, again, that would not be enough because of the fact that we have accused God of not being a good God. You and I now stand condemned We stand off on our own. It's not just an invitation to reorient our hearts. It's an invitation to see Jesus who pays the price. If we were to follow the narrative of Jesus' life, we see something fascinating that happens. The night when Jesus is betrayed... Thursday of this last week in the Holy Week calendar he goes to a garden he goes to a garden after living a perfect life Jesus goes to a garden where he will be betrayed to be obedient to the father undoing Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden undoing you and I you and I's disobedience While Adam and Eve hide behind a tree and are clothed to hide their shame, Jesus is stripped down and hung on a tree to pay the price, conquering shame. And while Adam and Eve are removed from the garden due to their sin, Jesus is raised to life in a tomb that is in a garden. In John chapter 20, Mary is outside the tomb, and she sees Jesus and mistakes him for the gardener. What is it pointing to? That Jesus has come. The new creation is dawning. He will bring about God's happy rule, and he does so through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. The story we're in is the story of a garden and the story of a man who actually brings about that happy rule of God, the story of the God-man who does not leave us alone to turn on our own, but instead takes the punishment from our sin for all who repent and believe that the kingdom is at hand. God's happy rule is now here and present to be made known in your life. Redemption. Redemption in Jesus. The old life that brought death is exiled and a new life has come throughout his resurrection life. But it doesn't end there. You see, the story of scripture is from a garden to a garden. You and I, those of us who are in Christ, we are going to a garden. The drama of Scripture is that in the beginning God creates a garden, a paradise for mankind to live in, to rule and to subdue, to be fruitful and to multiply, to extend God's happy rule throughout the earth. And we have failed at that and Jesus comes and he is the God-man who exceeds our expectations and succeeds where we have failed. And he rules and he subdues and he brings righteousness to the earth and he rules justicely and he invites a people bought and paid for by his blood, renewed by his resurrection life into life with him where they will one day for eternity live in the city of God. And in the city of God, there's a street with two rivers flowing, and there's a tree. And on that tree, that is found in that garden, is not a fruit that will lead to disobedience, but it is a fruit that will lead to healing for the nations. See, the narrative of your life and the narrative of my life for those of us who are found in Christ is from garden to garden and that garden is bought and it is paid for and it is brought about by Jesus' death for our sins and his resurrection for our life. So we as Christians believe that because of that story, that story is at the center of all that we believe. It is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. It was always God's plan to bring about redemption for his people through the death of Jesus. This is the story of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus was buried. Not only did he die for our sins, but he took our sins to the grave. That's really good news for you, brother and sister. It's in taking our sins to the grave that we now have a problem. If Jesus just takes our sins to the grave and he remains there, Death defeated him. Which means death is still a tyrant. Which means you and I have no hope. (laughs) Now, I have a question for us How can Jesus be victorious if he's dead? Can't be. And so I hope I don't have to preach this next part on my own this morning because many of you know that he is risen. He is risen indeed. The gospel is that Jesus rose again visibly through his resurrection. The justification of the Christian is secure. The narrative of scripture is that God raised Jesus from the dead. The weapon of the evil one, the weapon of sin is death. And on the cross, the evil one took what didn't belong to it, the perfect life of Christ our Savior. And because death condemned wrongfully, death was condemned. God the Father justifies the Son by accepting the sacrifice of the Son on behalf of Christians, and that is demonstrated through the resurrection. Sin was taken away by his death. Righteousness was revived and restored by his life. This is what we celebrate on Easter, (laughs) that Jesus rose from the dead, and because he rose from the dead, all who are united to him in faith will also rise. You see, without the resurrection, we don't have a gospel. This is why in Luke 24... Jesus, who is risen from the dead, finds two of his disciples that are discouraged at the fact that all they've seen is Jesus' death. They're walking away, they're going home disenfranchised and disillusioned, and Jesus meets them on the road. They're going downhill from Jerusalem back to their home, and Jesus meets them on the road, and he preaches the good news of the resurrected Savior to them, and what do they do? They turn around and they run back up the hill to preach that good news. They have hope and they have a Savior. The resurrection is the good news. And without it, we do not have a gospel. Not only did he die for our sins, not only did he take them to the grave, but he left our sins there and rose again victorious. And so death and resurrection is central to the message, because it's in Jesus' death that he pays the price for our sins, and it's in his resurrection that he brings about the new life where God's happy rule will now multiply throughout the earth. And what was in Genesis chapter 2, the be fruitful and multiply command for the Christian or for the for Adam and Eve is now. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You and I are invited into the story of multiplying God's happy rule throughout the earth because we have been saved and we have been justified and we have been raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So maybe this morning you're looking at the life you've lived and it's not the script you would have written for your life. It's not what you dreamed of as a kid. Your life maybe has been littered with failure. It seems like no matter how hard you try, you cannot seem to get it right. You look around and you see others succeeding and moving on and feel like maybe you missed something. There is a new life available to you this morning where you are not defined by our culture's definition of a successful life, but by Christ's. Or maybe this morning you come in here and you're scarred by abuse and you have tragedy in your past and you've lived your life defined by what's been done to you. And every decision you make is to escape the thought of it or it's shaped by it and the living God is angry at what has been done to you and he walks in judgment and righteousness for you and he also wants you to know that you are not what has been done to you. You are now in the new resurrection life defined by what has been done for you. Maybe this morning you come in here and you are suffering and you resonate closely with the bad news of this world. You hear me talk about bad news and I didn't need to point you further than your own life to know about that. You don't have to look much further than your own story to show the reality of suffering. And there is a new life available to you where death is not the end and where you can hold fast to the redemptive and restorative power of the resurrection that promises to bring us back to paradise with him fully and finally healed, you can look to your risen Savior who suffered on our behalf and know that there is a love that is stronger than death and there is a life that is available to you that is not surely only defined by your suffering because you have a suffering Savior who went to the cross for you to show you that death is not the end, my friend. Friends, I know that many of us this morning are tired and we are worn out and we've been seeking acceptance, healing, justification for our existence in empty wells. And I want you to know this morning that God loves you. That He wants to make you new. That He wants to work out the power of the resurrection in your life. And to give you new life in Christ. He wants to forgive you and to shower you with his grace. For those of us who are united by faith to Christ, when he died, we died. For those of us who die with Christ, we will live with him. And we will also be resurrected, that is the good news of the gospel, that what deserved death was bought and paid for on the, Christ, so, on the cross so that you and I, through Christ, might have life and life everlasting. We do not believe that you have to come in here and become a better person. We do not believe that you have to come in here and know a certain amount of scripture memory verses. Here's what we believe, that you have to come in here and you have to devote your life to Jesus who gave his life for you God's grace is renewing the earth the final aspect of the gospel sometimes we think of gospel in two terms is the good news on the ground what this means for you and then the good news in the air what this means for the cosmos The good news is that God is redeeming the earth through his grace. And he's doing that through the work of Jesus on the cross, through the work of Jesus in his resurrection. The old life has gone to the grave. The new life has come in Christ. And it is that new life that is bringing about God's eternal paradise forever for all those who believe. And I want to invite you into that story this morning, the the story of the resurrection that means that we have the surety of good news for eternity, that the gospel is the good news of God's grace renewing the earth. It is the grand narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration ordained by God and orchestrated through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The power of the resurrection is to bring good news to a bad news world. It's the one thing Jim from The Office missed. This morning I want to invite you to know Jesus and the power of His resurrection. Because whether you've known Him for a long time or you've never known Him at all, His resurrection power is available to you if you simply repent and believe that the kingdom is at hand and trusting in his work on the cross to pay the price for you, that he went to the garden to be obedient where we were disobedient and that he rose again to a garden (laughs) to bring about that eternal paradise for us. This morning, if you have questions or thoughts or anything like that, I want you to know that you're not alone in that. If you would like to give your life to Christ, I want you to know that we would love that and we would rejoice and celebrate with you because today is a day of resurrection. (laughs) And you can walk out of here continuing on as an adjective. Or this morning... This morning, you can invite new life. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice in the beauty of the gospel, that there is good news in a bad news world, Lord, that we don't have to we don't have to become desensitized to bad news. We can still continue to see it for what it is because we know that because of the power of your resurrection, we have an eternity of good news to lean into. This continual diving into the unsearchable riches of Christ will be ours forevermore. For those of us who find ourselves in your story, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom to see, open the eyes and ears of people in here to know you and to know the power of your resurrection. Lord, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts will continually be restless until we find rest in you. And so, for those in this room who are restless, I pray that you would meet them. For those in this room who are running, I pray that they would know that you're chasing them. <laughs> Lord, for those in this room who have believed you in part, but have begun the long road, the walk away from you, disenfranchised and disillusioned, Lord, I pray that you would walk on the road with them and you would preach to them a better word, a better gospel, a better good news, that you have indeed risen. You have indeed risen. The story where we all find our story is yours, Lord. We are, we, are not, we are not self-sufficient individuals on our own. We desperately need you. And so I pray that you would reveal to that, that to us this morning. Maybe you came here this morning and, and, and you, you want to give your life to the Lord. You don't know what the next steps are, and so I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna ask that. Um, I'm gonna ask that our pastors and elders would come to the front for prayer, just to be available, and our gospel community leaders. If if you have a desire to give of your life to the Lord today, I just want to invite you to take the opportunity. Um, you gain nothing by walking out of here today without doing that but you could gain everything by making that decision today. So after, after, after this prayer during the last song, our, our elders, pastors, and gospel community leaders will be up here at the front. If you need prayer and you wanna give your life to the Lord, we wanna pray for you and walk you through the best decision of your life. We rejoice in you this morning, Lord. We rejoice in the power of your resurrection.